0: Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Hi. I would say, um, what a beautiful morning, but I heard the rain on the roof, so I'm suspecting it's not. Um, for those of you online, hopefully it's sunny where you are, where the forecast says probably not. I am Esther, hello. You probably don't recognize me because I'm a central 6 pmer. So I'm not normally here at this time of day. Although I was in the Better Together videos, so you, you know, like minor Gastreet Street celeb. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm expecting most of you to have no clue who I am. I am the head of Love Your Neighbour here at Gastreet Street Church. I've been doing it for just over a year now, and before that, I was a teacher for about a decade, um, teaching in a secondary school. So there will be a test at the end of this talk. Please make sure you're making notes. It will affect your SATS grades. Um, But yeah, no, I joke. I'm married to the wonderful Adam, who's also a teacher. And we live uh, not too far from here and have been part of Gas Street for many years, pretty much since the beginning. And we call it a complete blessing to call this church our home. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to um, read the Bible passage that I'm preaching on today. It's quite long to warn you, um, but I'm not going to apologise for that because I think it's really important to read the whole passage and not take anything out of context. So for those of you who've got a Bible and want to read it in your own Bible, it's Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. But if you didn't bring a Bible that's fine. It's going to come up on the screen anyway when we get to it. But first, I'd like to pray. God, thank you for this morning and thank you that we get to come and meet in your house. Holy Spirit, will you speak to us today and reveal yourself to us. Amen. So these are the words of Jesus from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 45. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So a bit of eternal fire on a Sunday morning, quite a heavy passage. And just to put this in the position in the chapter, Jesus starts the chapter with some parables, but this is not a parable. This is Jesus talking about judgment and saying that, People of all nations, everyone will be split into two camps, the sheep and the goats. And the sheep will be the people who did the practical love for those who were the least in society, and the goats will be those who did not. So that's the split, sheep, good, goats, bad, Um, just for reference later. Now, the title of this talk is Loving Others is Loving God. Loving others is loving God. And I'm going to go straight from the title to my first point. Jesus loves others just as much as he loves you. Jesus loves others just as much as he loves you. You might be thinking that's a little bit obvious, Esther did you go to Sunday school, you know, Jesus loves the whole world, kind of basic to say. But I just think when talking about this topic and all the further points that I'm gonna make, you can't get them until you've really sat in that. That every single person that you know or don't know, that you will meet or won't meet, that you like or don't like, Jesus loves them just as much as he loves you. If that's all you take home today, if that's the only thing you get from this talk, that's okay. I do have more to say, but if that's the only thing you take home, I'm okay with that. So, as a teenager, I was a little bit of a handful. I wasn't wild, I, my teachers really liked me. My friends' parents really liked me. I was the one that was chatty and helped them load the dishwasher. Didn't help my mum with my dishwasher, but I helped other parents with their dishwasher. I got good grades. You know, my, my friends were lovely. So, you know, out in the world, I was, I was a good kid. But at home, I was a bit of a nightmare. I was very strong-willed, which is still the case. I was very good at organising other people, you know, leadership skills kind of thing, which I think, you know, it's still the case. I was unkind and a bit selfish, sometimes very selfish. I hope that's not the case anymore, although I'm still a work in progress. And there's a particular Saturday where I wanted to lift into town to see my friends, we were going shopping, or rather we were just wandering around the shopping centre. And uh, my siblings had activities, my mom was gonna give us this. So I came up with the perfect plan, okay? Because I wanted to be at exactly the right time for my appointment. I didn't wanna be early because then I have to sit and wait and I didn't want to sit and wait. And I didn't want to be late because that would be like really embarrassing to have my friends waiting for me. I want to be there dead on time. So I came to my mother and I said, I've got a great plan for how we should do things, you know, how this this should go. I I thought it was a brilliant plan. Yes, one of my siblings would have been an hour early to their activity. And yes, the other sibling would have been an hour late to their activity. And yes, it did mean my mum had to drive three times in and out, in and out, rather than just once. But I thought the perfect, I thought perfect plan. It was great, because I got to where I wanted to be on time. And um, my mother, the Reverend Rye, who is a very patient woman, I must say, if you make her angry, you've done bad, because it takes a lot to make this woman angry. Okay, she got a little bit angry with me, and she said, the world does not revolve around you, Esther. And I was really confused because I was like, it does? (laughs) No, but it does revolve around me. You know, I even, I think, patronizingly explained to my mother, yeah, but mum, of course, my life revolves around me. Who else is it going to revolve around? And I wish I could say that um, when I met Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I got more mature and less selfish. Um, And it did happen a little bit. But actually, I, I remember this realization when I discovered this word called "sunder," which was invented by a guy called John Koenig, which is coming up on the screen. And sunder means the profound feeling of realizing that everyone, including strangers passing in the street, has a life as complex as one's own, which they are constantly living despite one's personal lack of awareness of it. And actually having that word as, say, maybe 17-year-old Esther, I just got this realisation that every fear and insecurity, every passion, every hope and dream that I have had, this rich interior life, every single person that I have walked past, every single person has had the same. They have a rich interior life, whether I know about it or not. And it was a bit of a turning point for me. Jesus loves me so completely that he fully, he died for me. Fully and completely gave his life. And that is the same for every single person I meet. For every single person I won't meet. Jesus loves and died for the people who made my clothes. People that Jesus loved and died for the people that I pass in the supermarket. And there's that classic Christian saying that God loves you so much, he has your picture in his wallet. He has your artwork on his fridge. And if you'd been the only person in the world, Jesus still would have come down onto the earth, died a brutal death on the cross and risen again for you. And that is completely true. And if you need to hear that, this morning or this afternoon, please hear that. But that is also true of the least of these that Jesus lists in this Bible passage. The person who is hungry, Jesus has his picture in his wallet. The person who is thirsty, Jesus has her artwork on his fridge. The prisoner Doesn't matter how they got there, if they were the only person in the world, Jesus still would have come down from heaven, died a brutal death on the cross and risen again for that person. Jesus loves others just as much as he loves you. So back to the text, verse 40, Jesus says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And verse 45, and he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Now, there is so much to talk about in this this passage. I think a whole series could be on just this block of text. So I'm going to focus on one particular point today. And that is Jesus is saying that our actions to others are actions to him. You were doing it to me. And when I first um, read through this, I was really struck by that because he wasn't saying, be nice to others because I'll give you brownie points in heaven. And he wasn't saying, be nice to others because I love them. He's saying, be nice to others because I am the others. I am them. And I've got to ask why. Why didn't he ask why didn't he say, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to those I love? Because that would have been a true statement. That would have fit in that text. That, that would have been an okay thing to say. He could have said, you're a sheep because you follow the second greatest commandment. Or he could have said, you're a sheep because you treated people the way I would have treated them. No, he said, you're a sheep because you did it to me. Why is Jesus saying specifically, this is to me? And I think Jesus was reaffirming this truth, that every person is made in the image of God. The image of God is in every single person that you will meet. And yes, we've all, we're all broken, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others through our actions, but you right here, right now, are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. And the people that you think the least of are also the pinnacle of God's creation. And we can pretend there are people we don't think the least of. We can pretend that, that, we, that we act like this all the time, but there is. There is going to be some people we think the least of and they are the pinnacle of God's creation. One of the books that I've read recently and that has just blown my mind is The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. Um, And he went out when he was a student to Calcutta to work with uh, Mother Teresa over there. And he's got um, this quote, it's something he said about working with those who were dying. I looked into the eyes of the dying. I felt like I was meeting God. It was as if I were entering the holy of holies of the temple, sacred, mystical. I felt like I should take off my shoes. I knew what Dorothy Day meant when she said, the true atheist is the one who denies God's image in the least of these. And I wanna make it clear, those people he were talking about, they did not have money. They did not have a family. They did not contribute to the economy. They did not contribute necessarily to the people around them. He's talking about the eyes of the people who were discarded and left on the street to die, that people would walk past as they died. And that's where he met God. God is in the forgotten, the disregarded, and the discarded—that is where you will meet God's beautiful creation. Now, when Jesus gave this talk, uh, looking after others wasn't a new concept. The first-century Jew—they had quite a lot of rules and laws about looking after others—but Jesus went one step further by putting himself in that position of the people who needed. Practical help. He said, This is me you're walking towards, or me you're walking away from. This is the presence of God you're welcoming in, or ignoring. And I think that he spelt that out because it's linking how we treat others to our relationship with God. And I think this passage is saying, you can't remove them, they're they're so connected. Our God is not a distant God, he's close. He's in a near and intimate relationship with us. So if we want an intimate relationship with Jesus, if we are called to being close to our Father, we are called to being close to those who are considered the least in society. If he is not removed from us, then we should not be removed from them. And I think one of the reasons we are called to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus and an intimate relationship with others is because detachment is what creates superiority. Detachment is what creates the ability to ignore suffering. If we are not close, if we do not know them, then it is very easy to miss Jesus when he's hungry. It's so much easier to believe what the world says about the least of these when we don't know them, when we're not in relationship with them, when we're not seeing the image of God when we see them. And I think that's why Jesus wants us to be near, because detachment makes it too easy to humanize. Detachment makes it too easy to be superior. When we dehumanise people, we become goats. We miss the image of God. And when we miss the image of God in people, that's bad for them, right? We get why missing the image of God in people would be bad for them. It means we might not be able to help out practically, we might not care, but it's bad for us as well. If we're missing Jesus' image, in people, we're missing Jesus. There is a part of our relationship with Jesus that's missing. And Gastry, I love you, and I I feel very passionate that I want us all to have the fullest, most wonderful experience of our faith. And that means not missing Jesus when we walk past him. If we're missing Jesus' creation, we are missing Jesus Now, this next point is what I get really excited about. This is my jam. This is, this is what I'm all about. This is what I'm going to get a bit passionate about. And it's this. I think it's going to come up on the screen. God has a plan for poverty, injustice, and suffering. And we, the church, are that plan when people are praying for deliverance from their situations that are practically um, related, we're the answer. We're the answer that God's got in mind. Now, when I say we the church, I don't mean gas street church, like Tim and Rachel are gonna come up with a great five-point plan with a fantastic graphic. I mean, we the church, as in every believer, every person who's walking daily with Christ, you are part of the solution to those things. That is God's plan. If we are serious about seeking God's kingdom, then we need to know what the markers of God's kingdom are. And in God's kingdom, I can tell you, no one is hungry. And in God's kingdom, no one is isolated. No one is alone. No one feels forgotten. No one feels like no one cares. If we're going to chase his kingdom, we need to know what it looks like to help build it. Loving others is building God's kingdom. Practically caring for others is expanding God's kingdom here on earth. It is as important to love others and to practically step in as worship and prayer. The worship and prayer are key. They're our building stones. They're what we base our life on to go out and build God's kingdom. Here at Gas Street, we've got the model of gather and scatter. Right now, we are gathering as God's people. But we miss out when we think gather is the only way we build God's kingdom. We miss out when we think gather is the only way that we are bringing change into the world through the power of God. I have a chair in my living room. I know, slight swerve. I have a chair in my living room, it's on Great, it's on there, yellow, it's velvet so the cat doesn't scratch it. And it's my quiet time chair, which I know you're thinking, Esther, you're so holy, you have your own dedicated quiet time chair. It's because it's not facing the TV, that's why it's the quiet time chair, because I can't sit on it for anything else. And the reason that I'm showing you this chair is because I have cried out to God about the state of the world in that chair a lot. Sometimes literally crying, because I cry easy. I was in that chair when I cried out to God when George Floyd was murdered, when all the pain and the frustration at the racism that humans invented, and I was angry with God about it. I sat on that chair as I cried out to God about children that I taught who were hungry or who weren't looked after the way they should have been. I was crying to God in that chair when I met people who'd been dealt a really, really bad hand and it wasn't their fault. And I would get quite angry with God and I would say, you're the God of miracles. What are you going to do about this God? And in the times when I was listening, God, in a really gentle, quiet voice, would say, What are you going to do, Esther? What are we going to do together? When the Israelites were thirsty, God commanded Moses to hit the rock. When They were scared about Jericho, God commanded them to march around the city walls. God brought a victory for the Israelites with no casualties against the Philistines, but he called a person of faith to step up and face the giant. Now, they didn't necessarily make logical sense, like, God, I'm thirsty, okay, hit a rock. know that that doesn't quite make sense but here the logic is really really sound God we're crying out there are too many food banks and people are hungry in our country and so he says okay you feed them God there are families that are lonely and that are isolated okay you befriend them God, the prison system is churning out people in worse situations than when they arrived. Okay, you visit them. God says so clearly in this passage, you be the kingdom. He'll bring the miracles, but he needs us to step up. He'll bring the power, he'll bring the spirit, he'll do what he does, but he wants us to step into it too. He's not asking you to solve poverty but he is asking you to feed someone who's hungry. He's not asking you to solve the global refugee crisis, but he is asking you to defend refugees. He's not asking you to solve reoffending rates, but he is asking you to visit those in prison. As Mother Teresa said, help one person at a time. Just help the person in front of you. And if there isn't someone in front of you, Look, because these things bring his kingdom. This is what we mean when we say your kingdom come. That is the world we want. And doing these things reminds them and you that they are made in the image of God, that we do not believe what the world says, that some people are better than others. We believe that we are all made in the image of God and we remind ourselves and them when we treat them like Jesus. I've got another quote from the same book as before. told you I liked it. One day, we received a box of donations from one of the wealthy congregations near our college. Written in marker on the cardboard box were the words, for the homeless. Excited, I opened it up, only to find the entire box filled with microwave popcorn. My first instinct was to laugh. We barely had electricity, much less a microwave. And popcorn wasn't on the top of the needs list. My second instinct was to cry because of how far the church had become removed from the poor. Now, I don't think Jesus meant write a check to Birmingham City Mission when he said, feed the poor. I think he meant invite them into your home and to your table, like he did. And it's always dangerous to guess what people are thinking, but you might be sitting there going, well, Esther, that's all well and good for you because your job is literally overseeing a food bank and overseeing a pantry-style shop and all those things, it's really easy for you to say, okay, go feed the hungry, but I've got a job, maybe I've got kids, maybe I've got my own very important God-given ministry as well. Can't I just write a cheque to love your neighbour and be okay? My first side note to that is, yes, please write us a cheque. We are always okay with a cheque. Please don't take this as a, you don't need to financially give. Yes, we will take all donations. And my second point to that as well would be, please don't think that I am preaching from a place of, I've got this sorted, you guys need to catch up, because I am 100% preaching this from a point of view of, I'm saying what I know I need to hear. Because in my job as head of Love Your Neighbour, if I'm honest, when someone walks in to the cafe and they need someone to talk to and they need someone to listen and they need someone to love them and practically help them, what I do is I go and grab another member of my team and I sit them down with them because I've got a Zoom to get to. So I will honestly tell you, this is for me as much as anyone else in the room. But to answer the hypothetical question that none of you actually asked me, I will gently say that in these verses, I think Jesus makes it really, really clear that loving those considered least in our society is loving him. It is not negotiable. And that's challenging, that's really challenging. But no one ever said Jesus wasn't challenging. And if someone is telling you that Jesus isn't challenging, I'm really worried they don't know Jesus. I'm really worried they haven't read his words properly. So, what can we do practically? I've got two sort of camps of thought. There's like your informal lifestyle, how you live your life way, and then the formal, structured, organised way. To speak on the informal stuff, I think the thing I'd say is be interruptible. Be interruptible. We're in the city centre of Birmingham. None of us will have walked here or walked around here without probably being approached by someone asking for money. That's, that's the factor of being a city centre church. Be interruptible, stop, listen, ask them about themselves. Because at the end of the day, that's someone made in the image of God and he loves them so much. If there's someone in your workplace or at the school gates that you know is struggling struggling a lot, struggling a little, whether you know them well or not, invite them out for a coffee. Listen, talk. Because they are the pinnacle of God's creation and it's Jesus that you're extending friendship to. And then in a formal, structured ways, there are so many amazing charities out there who will make this easy and, quite frankly, fun. Okay, okay. Safe Families, I'm not going to name all of them, but one in particular I'm going to name. Safe Families works with, um, the council refers families who are maybe on the edge of care to them and they match up those families to volunteers. And as a volunteer, they go over and they just do a bit of life with them. Just that connection, just that relationship. Because that family are fearfully and wonderfully made. And whether they know it or not, God loves them so much. There's also ways that you can uh, charity and support you to open up your home to refugees or people fleeing violent relationships or, or um, coming out of being trafficked and rebuilding their lives. Literally welcoming Jesus the stranger in. And there's also things like prison visiting, prison alpha, the sycamore tree course, fantastic stuff. And of course, I am going to mention love your neighbour. Two particular things um, that I wanted to mention, our job club and our debt centre. Befriending people who are potentially named the least in our society who are Jesus in disguise, that he loves and that we can have the privilege and the joy of having a relationship with. So... Jesus's words are timeless. I'm not going to try and rewrite Jesus. But when I uh, prayed over this, I did think, Lord, what would this look like if Jesus was preaching right here, right now, in 2023, in the brilliant city of Birmingham? What would he have said? I was fleeing war on a small boat and you welcomed me into your home and offended me in public. I sat on the pavement asking for money, and you treated me like a human being with dignity and worth. I suffered racism, and you believed me, and stood with me, and made changes. Because what we do for those that society disregards we do for Jesus. Let's pray. The band would like to come back up. Yeah, Holy Spirit, will you just speak to us now? Father, for those who might find us uncomfortable, Lord, we pray that you just be with us. Sit with us in that discomfort And Lord, for those of us who maybe just the idea of being loved that much, maybe that's what we're struggling with today. Holy Spirit, will you just come and speak your truth over us? Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more visit our website gastreet.org or follow us on Instagram at gastreetchurch.